What's going on, happy people? It is Cooper. It's the Welcome to Cooperville podcast. It's proudly brought to you by my friends at Midwest Meals and MidwestMeals.com. We are into Halloween, which means the kickoff to the old holiday season is upon us. Yeah, Thanksgiving is coming, those family gatherings at time off. Maybe you're hitting the woods for a little gun deer season if you're from the north woods up here, and the diet goes out the window. This is where we all fall off the tracks and then that's why New Year's resolutions were created to get us back on track come 2020. How about you avoid getting off the tracks completely as you head up to MidwestMeals.com. 13 rotating healthy meals for you to just grab, pop in the microwave, and eat on the go or for dinner whenever you want to put it as part of your diet. And now you're getting the good stuff into your body. Instead of going through the drive through you're at work and you're popping it into the microwave and you are just on track to stay on track. It's really a simple concept. And price point, you really can't beat it. It's meal prep done for you no matter what your goals are. Maybe you just want to maintain where you're at. Maybe you want to lose a little weight. Maybe you're looking to gain a little muscle. Whatever it is you're doing during this fall season, Midwest Meals can figure it out for you. They got their macro calculator on there. You put in what your goals are, and it will spit out exactly what you need to be putting in your body to achieve those goals. And to top it off, their meals are damn delicious. MidwestMeals.com. Check out their selection. You can also build your own meals. You can get protein by the pound or pick from, again, those 13 rotating meals. And get those cravings crushers, too. Those are money. When you check out, hit that promo code COOPER and get 10% off your first order at MidwestMeals.com. Again, that hashtag MidwestFitFam. We are also brought to you by Ballwash. Ballwash. Boys, take care of your boys. Everybody will thank you for it. You'll thank yourself for it. It's a crazy day and age we're living in. Yeah, we're talking about this on the podcast. You got to keep it clean down there, fellas. Not only for the sanity and scent of others around you, but also to protect yourself. Protect the boys. Washes and colognes and sprays. We got it all. It's from the guys at Ballsy. They're doing it the right way. Startup company doing their damn thing. Ballwash.com. Check out their products. Check out their scent profiles. Get your order on and use the promo code COOPER and get 15% off your first order at ballwash.com. They've got your sack. I mean, they've got your back. See what I did there? Podcast is brought to you by Violent Gentleman Hockey Club as well. Out in LA, but doing the damn thing for hockey fans across the country and across the globe. And maybe you're not even into hockey. Maybe you're just into attitude. Maybe you have it. Maybe you want to spit the truth on your gear, what you're wearing in public. Let people know you're kind of a badass and I dig that about you. Battle and Gentlemen Hockey Club is all about hard work and making it pay off. So make it pay off for you by saving some coin. ViolentGentlemen.com. The promo code is COOPERVILLE15. That means 15% off your first order at ViolentGentlemen.com. I'm actually rocking their, their shirt right now. Nobody likes us and we don't care. See, that's the kind of attitude you need to have. Stop worrying about what other people think. And of course, Monster Energy, my friends at Monster. Thank you for getting me through. We did, what, three podcasts today already? Yeah. On top of getting up at the before the ass crack of dawn and running and getting everything in and getting the kid to school, three podcasts knocked out today, plus new business adventures and going to meetings and meeting with attorneys and meeting with accountants and meeting with finance. It's just been crazy. And you know what keeps me going? Yeah. A little bit of monster in the afternoon, popping down a monster ultra sunrise right now, enjoying the fruits of my labor. Also, Monster Hydro, huge part of my workout regimen as far as hydration and focus go. Monster Hydro, Monster Energy, Muscle Monster, all available at your local grocer or convenience store. And remember to hashtag Monster Podcasts. We figured it was uh, 
Tis the season of Halloween and frightening things and the unexplained and the paranormal and who better to have on than a guest we had back on in episode 19. Now, 20 episodes later, Chad Lewis, paranormal researcher and author, is back on the podcast to get you in that mood for the spooktacular. Chad Lewis episode of the Welcome to Cooperville podcast starts right now. Welcome to Cooperville. The Welcome to Cooperville podcast. On demand anywhere quality podcasts are available. And some places where cheap podcasts are available. And the local gas station has some. Subscribe, get updates, feel better about your life. Welcome to Cooperville.com. Welcome to Cooperville. Make sure you use a coaster. The wife gets upset when we leave rings on the tables. Not only is he a paranormal researcher and author, he is also now apparently a bathroom superstar. Mr. Chad Lewis is back on the podcast. How you doing, my friend? Happy Halloween to you! So what's up with this bathroom thing? I see you're you're posting pictures on the social medias uh, that you're you're becoming really popular with your events in like the restroom. Yes, everywhere I go this or so, and I'm amazed at how many I found over that time. Well, it's it's like direct marketing. You know, they're really trying to capture an audience when you have their attention, and hopefully not on their phones. It really is. I mean, I think most people, if you go to a bar and grill. When you go into the, the bathroom or the urinal, you'll see advertisements there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess you have a, a captive audience. Awesome, man. Well, I want to uh, talk to you about so many things. Uh, Chad was on episode 19 of the podcast. This now uh, 20 episodes later, episode number 39. It's uh, Halloween. So what is more appropriate than having uh, Mr. Paranormal himself, Chad Lewis, on? And I want to, uh, before we get into some of the things uh, I want to talk about today, um, I want to kind of take you back a little bit to when you first kind of got into, you know, this paranormal researcher, you know, really kind of making this, you know, part of who you were. Um, Did you have a lot of people who were telling you maybe this wasn't a career path that had been really laid forth before a lot of people to, uh, to make a life out of? I certainly did. And this was 25, 26 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was still in high school. I was traveling to Elmwood, Wisconsin to interview people who had seen UFOs in the sky. I hadn't even started college yet. And people would often say, why are you even researching this? There's nothing to it. But yet on the other hand, when I mentioned what I was doing, people with a little whisper would say, well, I have a story or grandpa used to tell me a story when we were growing up. So it was on both ends where people were excited about it. But yet other people were very skeptical of it as well. But it's obviously something after, like you said, 25 you know, plus years, you've you know, been persistent on uh, and, and continued on, written you know, many books, you know, been, you know, you've, if you, you know, this time of year, especially they're running a lot of marathons on, on some of the networks and you'll see Chad's face pop up during, you know, some, some paranormal uh, TV shows, you know, and lending his, his knowledge and insight into some of the things that some of the topics that they're discussing on there. But it seems like this time of year, Chad, when you get into, you know, Halloween and the month of October, there's there's a heightened awareness. Now, some of it's obviously commercial. You know, there's the the candy bars and there's the costumes and there's all these other, you know, 
propaganda-esque type things that are out there because it is, you know, it's a it's a fun holiday carving pumpkins and going to the pumpkin patch with the kids and but it seems like there is there's always this heightened sense of of the paranormal, of the undead, of things of of stories like you mentioned that were whispered to you when you first got started. You know, what is it about this time of year in particular that really besides the the glitz and the glam of the holiday itself what is it about this month and, and this particular part of the month that really highlight and, and energize, you know, those things that are out there? Well, I think there are two things. One, one obviously, is people believe the veil between worlds is getting thinner and thinner as we approach Halloween. Mm-hmm. So I think leading, you know, giving us a, a glimpse into the other realm or other worlds or whatever it is, but also giving them a glimpse into our world. But I think more is the darkening of the days. Mm -hmm. The days are getting shorter. The weather's getting colder. The sky's losing the sun. And I think all that plays into it as well, that settling in as the season changes. And we, here in the Northwoods of the U.S., you know, we start to brace for a long and hard winter. So I think some of that settles in, too, of things are dying, plants, Mm -hmm. leaves, trees. And I think all that plays together into one fear of this is when anything could happen. You've been, it looks like, spending a lot of time in graveyards. Obviously, that kind of all ties together with, uh, you know, with the, you know, the dying and, you know, what is it about, those areas obviously there's you know the the remains of of family and friends and and people we don't know they they reside in these locations but there's always you know i think where you talked about that veil a little bit it seems like in those specific areas in graveyards you know if you you know happen to find you know a a, a burial ground somewhere the places where there's that loss of life you know is is laid to rest what is it about those areas and again you've been spending a lot of time in them recently that even almost seem like draw that veil back a little bit more, make it a little bit thinner. A lot of the old cemeteries, the land was chosen because it was thought to serve as a portal between our world and the spirit world so that when your loved one passed on, it would just be easier for them to travel from our world to whatever world you believe they go to. But people didn't necessarily fear them People would have picnics and gatherings and go spend Sunday afternoons with their loved ones that they had lost at the cemetery. Kids would often play at cemeteries. But then they started taking on that as more and more of death moved outside the house. Mm -hmm. Years ago, people would die at home. They'd have the funeral right in their parlor, hence the term funeral parlor. Mm -hmm. They would have the wake there. Everything would be done at the house, but... As soon as that moved away, we started to fear death more, and we tried to outsource these things. People die at hospitals, and funeral parlors took over um, commercial ones. And then people would be buried, not in their own backyard, but in a cemetery. So these things became foreign to us, and I think they took on more of a supernatural appeal in the fact that cemeteries were places where the dead reside. And you've spent a lot of time in them, not just uh, recently, but over the course of your career in in your uh, you know your research. 
you know, what is it, you know, what are some of the things and dares that you have, have gone through in some of these places? Because I, I do think that when you have that, that kind of, uh, that mass grouping of, of, you know, really death and decay and, and sometimes in sadness, sometimes, you know, if a person was ill for a long time, that sense of relief. So you have a lot of emotion kind of tied up in these really coordinated, sometimes fenced off areas. But when you get a chance to walk through the gates and, you know, maybe experiences, you know, go through some of the things that you've heard stories about, what are some of the things that you've, you know, been able to, you know, be a part of as in those cemeteries that you've been to? Well, a lot of cemeteries have dares attached to them. You have mm-hmm. to do something in order for the legend to come true. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking down in Marshalltown, Iowa, when someone came up to me after the program asking if I had ever heard of the story of this young girl named Anna Weath, that she had been killed in the 1800s, a terrible, brutal murder, and the killer was never apprehended. And the legend had become that if you went out to her gravesite at night, of course, and you said her name three times, not only would the name of her murderer appear on her gravestone, but her spirit would appear as well. And so I went out after my lecture and filmed it and tried it, and uh, nothing happened while I was there. But I'm always fascinated by these dares that there's certain rules and regulations you have to follow, whether it's saying a name a certain amount of times or there's a grave in Mankato of a former doctor who, if you knock on his mausoleum three times, not only will you hear knocking back, but a giant demonic-type beast will come after you and try to take your life. But there are always these stipulations that you have to roll down the hill three times or run around a grave or sit on top of a cursed mausoleum to get pushed off. There's always things that you have to add. You have to participate in order for the legend to come true. You know, Chad, you've been a part of uh, you know a bunch of different TV shows, you know that that are doing stories on different you know elements of the paranormal. Um, it seems like we are living in a day and age where really everybody, uh, young and old, you know, all have the you know camera capabilities on them at all times. We live in a very you know security camera enforced world where there's really at any point uh, there's probably a camera on you unless you again if you're from the north woods of wisconsin there you can find places where there's no cameras unless it's a trail cam or something along those lines but when you look at you know all this technology that's out there and it seems like it may be just being brought to light because i do tend to watch you know some of those uh, the paranormal shows more often but there are more fleeting glimpses, it seems, of, of things that cannot be explained um, because of the day and age and technology that we live in. Do you agree with that? Well, I'm amazed that there's not more. Right. That, as you said, everywhere there's cameras following you. You fill up your gas tank, you're being filmed. People even have cameras on their doorbells now. Mm-hmm. So my thing is, why haven't we seen more evidence? Why haven't we picked up these big like creatures with all the trail cams and satellite photos. And, and I think the problem these days is that because technology works both ways and the fact that if you had a UFO land in your backyard today and you filmed it and you put it online, you'd have thousands of people saying how fake it looked right. because 
sixth graders can manipulate video now Mm -hmm. and they can manipulate photos that many people that when I talk to them, they tell me they don't believe anything that they didn't take themselves because it can be manipulated so easily. So I think that's a real drawback to the technology is that, yes, we all have portable cameras and video recorders on our phones with us, but yet at the same time, nobody believes any of the evidence. Do you think that sometimes can, you know, make people not post things that they've captured? You know, I, I, I just had a podcast recently and we talked about some of that, that social media ridicule that's out there and what it can, you know, it to, can do to a person's psyche. But imagine you did capture, you know, that, that UFO landing in your backyard, you know, and the hesitation, you know, may be that you're fearful of those exact comments that you talked about where you'll have people calling it fake yet in, in you witnessed it not only in you know through the camera lens but you know with your own two eyes do you think there's some hesitation out there too people probably have some good footage but yet they're a little bit reluctant to put it out on the socials because of you know the social backlash that could come along with it I've had many people come up to me after my programs and show me really cool photos they've taken both on digital and then actually when people use film Mm -hmm. and I ask them if they've ever posted it or put it on the computer for better analysis. And they just kind of shrug like, no, you know, it's just a family story. We don't want it known. And that not only happens with videos and images, but also stories. Mm -hmm. I've had people tell me stories that they said they haven't spoken of in 20, 30, 40 years because they didn't think anyone would believe them. And, That is changing more. Every decade, it gets easier and easier to tell your story. But still, people are hush-hush about a lot of it if they don't trust the person. Do you think, and like you you mentioned uh, earlier in the podcast, you know, you've been been doing this for a while. Uh, You know, you got two decades plus uh, into research. Do you think that 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 hesitation to come forward is is more prevalent now because I, I, I reckon back to being a, a child and sitting around the campfire at my grandparents' cabin up on Lake Pulaski and, you know, ghost stories would be brought up. And, and obviously some you could tell were embellished by the adults in order to, you know, I want to not frighten the children, but to tell a good story, to get a good spook. Uh, but, you know, the ones that kind of kept on coming up, you know, hey, tell tell that one story, Grandpa, about that time when you were growing up on the farm and, and, and you saw this particular thing maybe in the woods and, you know, the stories that keep on coming up, it seems, you know, that, that kind of had more of a true ring to them. Do you think that uh, people are more, you know, willing to share nowadays or do you think that they, they do try to keep things more closer to the vest because of public ridicule? I think people are more willing to share today, mm-hmm. but than they were 20 years ago, but still nowhere near what you would imagine or hope that it would be. And a lot of people tell me their story after a program in private. And then I'll say, you know, email that to me, give me all the details you can remember, put it in writing. You don't have to attach your name. I just want to have it. So I remember everything. And I'd say less than 5% of the people ever do. And I don't know if that's because they don't want to take the time to do it or, they're fearful that it really won't remain unknown. I don't know, but it's just very frustrating when people have such great stories and they just want to tell you about them. They don't want you to investigate. They don't want you to really do anything with it. They just want to get it off their chest. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Now, we are 
obviously uh, approaching Halloween, uh, or we are on Halloween, and there always seems to be, and I remember as, as a kid, there always was things that, that, that always were there, like the, you know, a couple of different places up, you know, in your neck of the woods, you know, go up and, and travel down this road and you'll see a farmhouse on the left. And when you, you know, you drive by it, all of a sudden the headlights will appear in, you know, behind your vehicle. And, and Halloween always seemed to be that time when we got to a certain age that we go out and try to test some of these things. You know, you go out to, to a graveyard and, and maybe you know some of the, the dares and things that are out there. Like, hey, if you, you know, you stand right here at this time, you, you're going to witness this thing happen. Now, what are some things out there that um, that people can go who, who really are looking for, you know, kind of that rush that, that you experience um, that are, you know, in the area, you know, in the Midwest where people can go and, and have a good Halloween, you know, experience that's not just your standard trick-or-treating or, you know, going to a Halloween party or getting dressed up. Where are some places people can go experience some real, you know, some things that have some history to them. Yeah, people love going to these places as, you know, test of bravery or rites of passage type thing. And in the Midwest, we have tons of these areas. One of my favorite places to go, you may not want to go on Halloween, you may get a trespassing ticket more than a paranormal experience, (laughs) but one of my favorite places to visit and one of the creepiest places I've been to is Ed Gaines Farmland in Plainfield, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. For those of your listeners who don't recall Ed, back in the 50s, he liked to dig up bodies of women and then bring them home and turn them into lampshades and furniture and all kinds of despicable things. And many believe his farmland is still burned down his house back in the 50s. The land is still there, and people have experiences out there. Or you can... Go to places like Clear Lake, Iowa, where uh, Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper, their plane crashed, and it's the spot where music died, and many believe their spirits are still haunting the site, the old farmland, where they crashed. So you can go to these places where not only is it legend, but you get a little bit of history. Mm -hmm. You get some Americana there as well. And there's endless types of those places around the Midwest. You can't throw a rock without hitting a place with a paranormal tie to it. And Chad, you know, from the great state of Wisconsin as well, it, it seems like, you know, you mentioned Ed Gein, and, and obviously there's there's been other really well-renowned, in a negative way, I guess, uh, you know, serial killers, you know, people that fall into that category who, you know, that, that negative energy and that that fear factor, I guess you would say, is seeps into the soil of places. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, uh, my whole family, my, well, not my whole family, but like my wife and myself and my cousins and their spouses all went down to a brewer game in Milwaukee and we stayed at the, uh, the Ambassador uh, Hotel in yes. Milwaukee and had unbeknownst to us, like I was like, wow, this is a really cool old, you know, historic hotel. It's got a lot of the old, you know, workings on the inside and, and really kind of just a really kind of, you know, inside you know looking at it from the inside like this is a really kind of a neat place it's got these really cool amenities it's not your modern you know hotel that you go to it's just got these really cool you know features to it we didn't know that there was a tie in there with with Jeffrey Dahmer and until like weeks later what we realized that everybody who was married got into an an argument with their spouse that weekend there was just this really heavy negative energy that 
people were arguing over just the silliest things, like and, and people getting riled up over the silliest things. Like we're down in this, you know, in Milwaukee to have fun, go to a brew game, go to Soberman's, have a burger, have a couple beers, you know, live the Wisconsin, you know, late summer dream. And mm-hmm. yet this this place again, and we didn't real, realize this until afterwards. And we all all were together at the at our house having a having a game night, and one of them brought up, hey, you know, I was you know just looking at the hotel. We were going to plan another trip for the following year. And we're like, maybe not that hotel because, you know, nobody had really good, uh, you know, good times there. And like, and somebody brought up the fact that, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer could, you know, was bringing some of his, you know, eventual victims to that hotel. And all of it started to like really make sense and creep us out at the same time because we were in this building and we could feel like we reflected back and we're like, yeah, I never got that riled up about things. I never got that angry about things, but here we are in this, you know, castle of of negative energy that has seeped through the walls and it just expunged on us it was really really crazy but wisconsin seems to have a lot of those kind of places where just you know the stories the history is there and the energy seems to still be present i wonder and this is one of the interesting aspects of the paranormal is you can take a case like the ambassador which is a really cool place to stay but it has a grisly history, mm-hmm. and you can ask the question, does it have that, that sense of something's not right or sorrow or dread or that energy of just negativity because Dahmer did what he did there, killing at least one victim, maybe several others, or did Dahmer somehow pick up on that negative energy that preexisted before he was there, wow. and that's why he chose it for his deed? And that's an interesting question of, is it cursed because of Dahmer, or did the curse attract things like Dahmer? And obviously we'll never know those questions, but that's fascinating to me because there are many locations where they seem to be cursed. About 10 years ago, I was doing a radio interview in Appleton, Wisconsin, and I was talking about this cursed farm that I had discovered when doing a book on old newspaper articles in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And this article talked about from the 1800s on that there was this farm that the owners thought was cursed because so many bizarre deaths, suicides, untimely deaths, murders, all took place on this farm. So I was talking about this farm a hundred years in the past when somebody called up the radio station and said, I own that farm. These things are still going on to this very day. This isn't something out of history. We still think it's cursed. So I really do believe there's something with areas themselves, whether they are a paranormal beacon or a hot spot or just cursed places. Mm -hmm. And I think we've all felt that. You walk into a place and for some reason you just do not like it. You can't say why, but you just, it doesn't fit with you. And I think maybe some of us might be picking up on that. Yeah, that residual energy, you know, we talk about, I think that Dahmer, you know, that Dahmer story was a real new light that shed on me for that, for, you know, our experience there and us relating that experience to obviously the knowledge that we had, but then thinking outside of those those contexts of, well, why, why this place? Of all the places in Milwaukee, why this place was, was Jeffrey Dahmer drawn to? And I think you're you're spot on in saying that 
this could have been something. Obviously, the ambassador has been there for a very long time. If you go in there, if you've ever been to Milwaukee, you've never been down to uh, to that part of town. You know, at least at least go into the lobby of the ambassador and just check out some of the artwork, the old elevators. You know, the bathrooms are really cool. They're probably not. You know, they're a little PG thirteen uh, for the kids. Just a, just a heads up there. Um, but you, when you start to really dig deeper into that, and you you wonder if you go beyond and and before that Jeffrey Dahmer story, what what other kind of history does a place like that that's been standing for so long have? Because you know, you know Milwaukee being a, a major metropolitan city, obviously ties to the Chicago area is a very close drive. And, and we all know what we know about Chicago and, and even in its history, organized crime and it leaking up into, you know, across state lines into Wisconsin. But when you talk about walking into those kind of buildings and and just having that feeling and even people that say they don't have any belief in the paranormal or the existence of uh, anything that's not you know two-dimensional three-dimensional what they can see those people still get those feelings in those kind of places which really says a lot about the types of energy that are out there and where they come from and and those places could be unknown it could just be like you mentioned earlier a hotbed for some sort of energy to uh, to kind of make itself known in that particular area. And it's one thing to go to Ed Gein's land, knowing the history, the background, the grisly deeds he had conducted there, and to get creeped out. But it's another, like your scenario, where you go someplace, you don't have any idea about the history, but yet you can still pick it up. Mm-hmm. And that's what intrigues me, that these people that have no idea about that they're at a weird place, but yet something's telling them that they shouldn't be there, just something's not quite right. And that's more fascinating than people who get creeped out going there because of the history. Yeah, because obviously when you go online to book a hotel or do, you know, to go visit someplace, you know, the Ambassador Hotel didn't have, hey, by the way, this happened here. <laughs> you know, that's not a selling point that they used to to draw, you know, I get masses in. I think people, you know, in, in a smaller sect who would be interested in in experiencing that kind of energy, that could be a selling point for them. But for, you know, people like us, you know, the the six of us that went down there and were just down there because we needed a place to stay, because it was a cool spot. It was kind of in proximity. They had a shuttle to the ballpark and a shuttle, uh, shuttle to the supplements. You know, it, it fit our, our motif, but it wasn't, you know, known to us until well after the fact that that was indeed uh, a place where, you know, some of the Dahmer tragedy had taken taken place. Now we look at uh, Halloween, a uh, huge holiday. How much do you think that the embellishment of, of Hollywood and um, you know some of the over-the-top things? When I had you on episode 19 of the podcast, we talked a little bit about you know vampires. We talked about you know they're rooted in, in the, the Dracula and, and, and Claude and all these other stories where they come from. But how much you know do you think that Hollywood kind of amps up the energy and with that amping up obviously they're running marathons of uh you know the paranormal shows they have you know the the scary movie they have halloween marathons running right now so people are already kind of at a heightened you know sense of energy and they're they're really in you know kind of in the groove for it how much does that play into you know our sensitivity to the paranormal on days like halloween where yeah it's you know it happens to be when it's dark and and it's kind of the the dying time up here in the midwest but that heightened sense that that is provided from other element, other you know things coming at us on TV or on the radio or on podcasts like this one right here. Uh, but it kind of it all it seems to like really heighten people's sensitivity to to really experiencing some real legit things. 
I think there's no doubt that the media has really propelled Halloween, and that's evidenced by the fact that every year spending on Halloween is catching up on Christmas wow. as the most spent money on decorations and gifts and candy. It's catching Christmas every single year. It's catching up on it. But I think also at the same time, you know, it's bringing us further away from the, the real history of Halloween. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that more people see it as just horror movies and scary things, but they kind of forget the idea of Halloween. And I think that's, that's illustrated in all the costume picks of today is that 50 years ago, people would dress as the scariest thing they could think of because the idea was that on Halloween, when things could come back to this earth or this realm or whatever, mm -hmm. and if you were dressed as something scary, they would either think, one, you were one of them, and they'd think you were just someone they didn't know but similar to them, or two, they would think, this thing looks scary. I'm not going to attack that thing. Right. I'm going to attack the superhero over here. That doesn't <laughs> look scary. So I think today we've fallen away from that with, costumes of sexy Mr. Rogers or whatever the newest <laughs> trend is out there, the absurd trend. So I think Hollywood and the media has pulled us further away from the origin of Halloween and made it more into horror movies and, and monsters. But at the same time, you brought up the idea of does it heighten our senses or make these things happen more? And I, I've found over the years that for a lot of people, seeing equals believing, obviously. Mm. Yep. But for others, believing might equal seeing. That I've noticed a lot of places, if people go out to them expecting something is going to happen, they are much more likely to have something happen to them. And whether that's because they're opening themselves up to experience it, or they're manifesting it or imagining it, I don't know. You know, I, I never thought of, a, you know, when you talk about Halloween and the costumes and where they've gone, I mean, and the sexy Mr. Rogers thing, I think if that's not a costume, we could make millions, you know, putting that out to uh, to the public. Uh, but there's there has been, and I think we've, we've glamorized Halloween. It's been kind of uh, made into, you know, like Christmas, kind of a very showy holiday. It's all about the the costume and how elaborate you can get. And, you know, you know, I know kids that, and not mine, cause I don't like to travel on Halloween just because it's a, it's an interesting time to travel with the trick or treaters and, and everybody else who's out maybe partaking a little bit too much. But, you know, there are kids that and families that will go to strategic areas because that's where the good candy, you know, gets handed out. And, but, you know, when you, when you think about that element of, well, here's why you got dressed up back in the day, because if something was rising from the grave or coming from another dimension or, you know, reincarnating itself as, as, as this particular object that you could, you know, stand your ground against him. And yeah, you know, my Captain America costume isn't going to do much to scare, you know, a werewolf away or, you know, a, somebody risen from the grave or a witch or any of those, you know, elements that, that, you know, have the possibility of coming back. But it's really been... I think Halloween has drawn itself from that singular holiday. And you mentioned this when you talked about how it is gaining on Christmas as far as the, the money spent on it. It's accelerating to start sooner and 
almost carry itself through past into November as you kind of have this, you know, it's the holiday season. It kicks off with almost you know, Labor Day weekend, now we're into the fall season and you got football and then, ooh, it's Halloween. And then, but Halloween with, and I think because of some of those paranormal shows, at least for me personally, it will like, as soon as like Halloween is done and they stop running them constantly, I'm on Netflix looking for the next scary thing. You know, I want more, I want more insight. I want more research. I want to find something, you know, if it's Chupacabra or whatever story they happen to be talking on that I want to go find out more about it. So maybe it's you know, at its roots, some of that glitz and glam of that Hollywood and, and television and, and the media have put off into Halloween and this glamorous holiday. Some people get kind of drawn into more of the occult aspect of it and some of the deeper meanings of some of the stories that are out there, which, you know, for a guy like you who's out, you know, doing the research, you know, 365 days a year, that has to heighten interest and hopefully for you get more people to come to your to your seminars and your speeches and, and to buy the books because there's so much out there to learn and to know. I've discovered that not only does it draw in people who are believers or very interested, it draws in diehard skeptics and anyone in between. And I think a lot of people are curious and they are excited by the Halloween season. Even if they don't believe they're, they're interested, they love these scary stories. They really get into it. And I think the, the balance is shifting back more towards original legends and traditions, mm-hmm. not only with Halloween, but with Christmas as well. And uh, you can just look anywhere and see the explosion of Krampus in right. the United States in the last five years that when I was growing up, I had no idea of Krampus. And now you get elementary kids saying, you know, Krampus night is coming up because People are going back to that traditional origin of these legends. So I think it is shifting, and I completely agree that we need to get back more toward the traditional areas of these legends. Now, Chad, we, we've been speaking, obviously, uh, setting up the podcast and stuff uh, and talking about how busy you've been, which is uh, it's great for you to to be on and be able to tell you know the things that you've seen. And then I think in, in as you've mentioned several times in this podcast, getting to hear stories back from people, people coming up and whispering their tales and, you know, things that, that have been passed on from generation to generation to kind of keep those stories alive. Would you say in uh, in 25 years, you know, since you, you started, since you found your way into this, uh, this arena, that there are more believers in 2019? Or would you say that skepticism has has surpassed believers. Where where do you think the balance is uh, from your perspective on as a as a overall human beings? You know, the places you visited. Do we have more people out there believing, or do we have more people that are finding ways to be skeptical about the paranormal, UFOs, and and the existence of the like? I think the belief has always been there, mm-hmm. but I think if anything, the belief is increasing. Maybe not in the idea that these things are one hundred percent real. But the idea and the possibility of them, mm-hmm. and I think that's a big difference, but a big step as well, that a lot of people might say, I don't think aliens are here. Right. I don't think we've been visited by them, but I think there's life out there. Mm-hmm. There's the possibility that we're not alone, the high probability of it, but yet they don't make that jump to they're here. And I think that's the same with other aspects of the paranormal that a lot of people think there's an afterlife or something after this, this life, but they're not quite, we're ready to say you can come back and haunt people. So I think 
the belief in the possibility of these things being real is probably at an all-time high, but the belief actually in them, I bet has probably remained constant or maybe it kicked up a few over mm-hmm. the years. You know, we talked about this on the, on the, on the podcast we had, John, uh, a couple months ago about uh, kids being able to kind of be more aware of things because they haven't quite been, you know, blinded or, you know, put in a society where people only believe these, you know, they believe the tangible, they believe in what they can see, you know, seeing is believing. Um, I reckon back to my kid being, uh, he, he couldn't even have been a year old. Uh, but when he first found his laugh, we always know what would make him laugh. Like if, you know, dad was doing something funny, he would laugh. If mom was doing something funny, you know, there were certain elements that would make him, him laugh. And we always could recognize those and establish, obviously he, he, he knows that dad's funnier. Uh, but there was a time when I remember, um, my father-in-law was at our house, our old place and just had, just had him on, uh, had our son on his lap. And our son kind of moved, maneuvered himself up to over the shoulder and was looking off into the distance by the door. And there was nothing over there. There was The door was there and I think a coat rack uh, and then the stairs that went uh, to the downstairs. But there was nothing of humorous value by the door frame. And that kid busted out what was probably to this day one of his most epic belly laughs ever. And like in a not just in a one one-time thing, but over the course of several minutes and you could tell like the difference between like he would laugh and then he would kind of focus and then he would laugh again, almost as if he was interacting with an entity that nobody else could see. And this was brings me to, after we had our first podcast, I had a lot of people that reached out to me on social media, uh, texted me, called me and were really, you know, they were just excited that you were on and got a chance to kind of tell some of your stories, but would always recall stories from their own childhood. You know, the ones that reached out, like I remember when I was this age, you know, and usually that was under the age of nine or 10. And they were like, yeah, and this, this really strange thing happened. And I always remember it to this day. Do you think that, how much belief do you put in the fact that as, as children, we have more of a, an ability to maybe be present and see things a little more than once we get to kind of that teenage twenties and, and, and onto adulthood where we're kind of blocked off from a lot of that stuff. Many people blame it on, as you get older, you're told what's possible and what's not possible mm. that you can see these things, experience them. But as you learn, as you get older, that you shouldn't be able to, that these things aren't real, they're not happening, that that's why you just uh, close yourself off to it. But right. I think, there may be something with the actual brain development pre eight, nine years old before permanent memory really settles in that that may account for some of the experiences as well, that there may be some shift when the brain starts to be able to have permanent, uh, constant memory Mm. that maybe it shifts over where these things aren't as noticeable. And it's again, all speculation, right? But I think that may account for the reasons why so many kids have imaginary friends. And when their parents start digging, they find that those friends were former residents of the house that passed away. But there is something about that age, eight, nine, ten, when the ability or the you know, communication with these things just ceases. And again, maybe that is because you learn you're not supposed to know, or maybe 
something in the brain development. But there is that fine line of a cutoff, it seems. Since we've had the podcast, there's been, uh, you mentioned UFOs, there's been a lot of new information released in the UFO world uh, that's really got a lot of people excited. Obviously, we made it past, uh, you know, the Area 51 uh, chaos that was supposed to ensue, and that really turned out to be, you know, much ado about nothing. Perhaps if you're into conspiracy theories, some sort of government uh, distraction from other things that were going on, but I digress. That's a different topic for a different day. But, you know, Jeremy Corbell has brought a lot of things to light in the last, you know, six months or so um, with Bob Lazar and some now some of the the pilot footage that has, has been out. And now you have the Defense Department claiming that, yes, this is actual footage. You know, how much when these kind of things happen, because there's probably been points in, in history when uh, people get, you know, that validity of when a government official, which maybe they shouldn't do this, but when, when somebody from a, an authority says, yeah, this is something or when a story that either falls in that UFO line or paranormal line gets authenticated by somebody in an authoritative position, that now all of a sudden belief can go up. What are your thoughts on uh, this new UFO evidence that's coming out, and where does it really lend itself as we move down the road into perhaps some explanation on, on the things that you've researched that maybe are now being thought of in, in on a government level of something that the public maybe needs to be made aware of? A lot of the other researchers I I work with and talk with and just people interested in ufology, the main question seems to be right now is why now? Hmm. For decades after decades after decades, it was deny, deny, discredit, never admit to anything, even when the rest of the world was declassifying a lot of their UFO encounters. Here in the U.S., it was always make up different stories, put out propaganda, and deny. And now they're starting to ease up on that, saying that, as you mentioned, some of those Navy pilot mm -hmm. filmings, that this is real. They haven't been doctored. They don't say it's UFOs or unidentified aerial phenomena, but they're saying it hasn't been doctored. It's real footage. And that question to me is why are they leaking these things out for some agenda or some reason? Are they trying to get us prepared for something? Mm. But I, I just don't know why after all this time, they would all of a sudden say, yeah, I guess there is something to it. And that's, what's baffling for me. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great perspective to have on it because there has been, Many a story. Obviously, there has been some that uh, we, we talked about it, you know, when we talked about the cell phone footage in the backyard, that was an alien ship or my six year old got a hold of my, you know, my video account and was able to, to doctor some video. But, you know, there really has been this big national government level acceptance of of things in a in a, in a microcosm of the Navy pilot story. I think the Bob Lazar story is a fascinating one. You know, the fact that that's been brought more to light uh, for, you know, the second time um, and how it all kind of correlates together with itself. But yeah, that, that is a really good question. Like why in 2019, after decades, decades of documented uh, unexplained incidences is now the time where we start. And again, they're just dabbling. They're just, yep, that's real footage. They're not giving, you know, they have, you know, kind of confirmed, or at least, you know, the pilots have confirmed that there is no technology, there's no, you know, way that 
the United States, or really as far as we know, any other country, would be able to put that kind of you know, propulsion into use when you talk about that footage that the Navy pilots had. There, there's just not, there's no element that you don't have to, you know, you take off from a plane, it starts off slow and it builds speed and it goes. It just doesn't go. You don't go from zero to, you know, 200 miles an hour in, in no time. So all of a sudden these things are starting to be like, yep, that's real. But the, is it, is it part of something bigger? I think is a huge, is a huge question to be asked out there. Are they preparing us for something because there's something on the horizon, things that we need to be maybe mentally prepared for or is it just like a step in the process like okay if we if we all of a sudden say yep so this is non-doctored footage and everybody's then it kind of gives people a window they can go yeah okay well it could be maybe it's something in nature that we don't aren't aware of but it also gives that person who's starting to believe a little more a little more uh, fuel to their fire and maybe what's the next thing that comes out because it's been coming fast and hard for the last almost a year What's the next thing? Is it like a step-by-step program to, to get us to a level in 2020 or 2021 where we do have some unveiling of some real hard facts? Um, it's just been fascinating. It's been fascinating to follow because you'd start to, when you research it a little more and you learn about, you know, uh, like Jimmy Carter, you know, made it a part of his, you know, one of his campaign things. Is I'm going to find out about the UFOs and I'm going to let people know. And he never mentions it, to, never mentions it again once he gets into office. Or Clinton saying, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to find out, you know, what we've done like Arsenio Hall show. And I'm going to, I'm going to let people know uh, what's going on. Obviously, Clinton ran into some other issues and maybe he was distracted, but that's, um, that's neither here nor there. But there's been these, you know, recently, all of a sudden, the government is starting to kind of, it feels like brace us, Chad. It feels like they're bracing us for something. And I have held the firm belief over the years that no matter how much information they have or don't have, they would never share that with the president of the U.S. because right. the president is, uh, you know, speaking so much and talking so much that it would be too easy for a slip up. Right. That that no matter even if the the president's tight lipped or you know, maybe a little more open, like some of the presidents are of talking off the cuff that you would not want that person involved. It's just a liability. So I've always thought that, um, whether it was Clinton Carter, all the way up through modern day presidents that Mm. they would not know, and it would be a benefit for them and for the secrets (laughs) they're trying to contain. But I agree. I think there's going to be more announcements. I think this is the bottom level and they're going to start squeezing more and more out and see the effect of it. Do you think, uh, and this is uh, this is, uh, your personal opinion, do you think that there are, you know, we talk about keeping secrets from presidents, and I think that, you know, there's probably a not just UFO existence or, you know, alien life or we've been visited, anything along those lines, but there's probably many other facets uh, of, of government that are not passed up to the highest uh, highest position. Do you think that there are, you know, secret government programs in place Um doing some alien research, doing some things that, that are unbeknownst to the public, or maybe, and obviously, if they're unbeknownst to the president, they're probably unbeknownst to the public, but that those are in existence and that government money is funding some of these things? If they're not, there should be. When the government says they're not interested in UFOs, it drives me crazy because how can you not, when your number one goal is to keep the public safe, right. be interested in things in our airspace or our country that you don't know what they are. You don't know if they're a, another country's technology or another world's technology, no matter what the explanation, why wouldn't you be interested 
uh, it just, it's hard to comprehend that they wouldn't be. So in my mind, yes, they're not only looking at possible extraterrestrial stuff or interdimensional or time traveler, Mm. whatever it is. I imagine they're decades ahead of technology that we know exists. And it's like when people kept seeing the stealth bomber decades before it came out, they swore that's what they saw. And then when they announced the stealth bomber technology, people said, yeah, that's exactly what I saw 10 years ago. Right. So I think without a doubt, they're so far advanced in technology that most of us probably might not even want to know the kind of things that they're capable of doing. Yeah, I think there's a there's a rabbit hole there that uh, you can definitely fall down, and, and with places and outlets like uh, like Netflix and, and podcasts. I mean, a lot of those stories, a lot of those people's stories are getting told. And I think that's a, I think that's beneficial because it's it's the the truth will probably not come from the top. You know, the truth is not going to come from a uh, a presidential speech or a, a breaking. You know, if it comes to a breaking news thing, you know, like it's you know seven o'clock on Halloween, not to freak anybody out that it's coming tonight, but just you know throwing a time and, and day out there that the president comes on the television and and makes an announcement about you know invaders or you know aliens coming. Chances are the the track to that happening, that day happening, is probably been discussed in a public forum leading up to it. You know, there's there's enough people out there, I think, that are really hardcore paying attention to it. I think they're finding funding uh, for these projects and finding funding for research that's non-governmental. And you you know, I think you mentioned it, if they're not doing it, they're, they're missing it. If they're not doing the research and not paying attention, uh, somebody needs to be doing that. And I, I think a lot of people say we're ready for it, we can handle it, when maybe we can, but then I always throw them back to the Y2K scare and people went crazy over an alleged computer glitch and people were stocking up on hundreds of years of dried food and bordering themselves in or that, uh, uh, the disease that was out there, not mad cow disease, but another one where people were recommending getting duct tape and plasticking all your windows and doors. Was that SARS? People went yeah, yeah, SARS, people went yeah. crazy for that. So I don't know if we are ready for the truth, but I guess there's only one way to find out eventually. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe they're reaching that that point where they can't keep the wraps on it anymore or there's some ultimatum or something that it has to be now or never. And I think, you know, not to steal the uh, the, the quotes, and I won't get them right from, from like a Men in Black movie, but uh, and this I think falls into not just – UFO research and, and the existence of, of alien life forms, but also into the paranormal. I mean, one uh, an individual, a person, can probably comprehend and understand and would make sense of even something they didn't believe in being true. The masses, the public, it's, uh, you know, in, incites this kind of mass hysteria, this mass panic, even though I may not be completely freaked out and lose my shit over, you know, Y2K or their SARS or the bird flu or vaping, you know, whatever the latest, uh, you know, thing that's coming after us is, but in a mass setting, in a mass group setting of Americans or, or globally, everybody on the planet, you know, we tend to kind of follow in groups like everybody's freaking out about the, the aliens. Everybody's freaking out because now we know that there's this other realm where, you know, after we die, we, now we know what happens. And now we know that there's this, this, portal where people can cross over back and forth between dimensions 
you know, you can tell that to one person and maybe you give them some detail and they can kind of process it and they can analyze and they can, you know, come to terms with it. But in a mass group setting, I think the government's doing it in an interesting way by just kind of taking us step by step into, yeah, that's not doctored. Yeah, okay, so Roswell. Yeah, okay, so these things in the middle of the ocean that are causing these weird ripple tide effects. Some of these things, it's like we need to be kind of hand our hand needs to be held in walking closer to to understanding what's out there that we we haven't been able to see or process yet i agree completely it's that like that old joke the the best evidence that there's intelligent life out there is that they've never visited us (laughs) Um, you know so yeah i i think that we would have to have our hand held and maybe that's exactly what's going on right now i guess the future will tell Chad Lewis, what does Chad Lewis do on Halloween? I'll be out hunting uh, for a monster near uh, southern Wisconsin tonight. I used to tell where I was going to be all the time, but then I'd get out there and there'd be people out there as well. <laughs> and uh, not that you know things don't happen when there's a lot of people, but if you want to really experience something, you know sometimes it's better to have less distraction out there. So I'll be out hunting monsters uh, this evening. You are fearless, my friend. You are fearless. And I want to say that I truly appreciate you taking some time out here on the holiday, on Halloween, to uh, to tell your stories, uh, You know, to get the get the word out, to get people thinking, to get people wanting to experience some things and, and, and learn things. I think we, we covered so much. You know, we, we went from, you know, dressing up as uh, sexy Mr. Rogers to, you know, the history of the ambassador, the, the state of Wisconsin. How is it? it it's history, aliens. I mean, we kind of covered the gamut and there's so much more out there. So uh, thank you for the time and the stories. Have a safe hunt and uh, we'll be following up with you on your social media so that we know uh, we know where you were after the fact and what you found. All right. Keep an eye out. Thank you so much, Chad. Yes, the truth is out there. We're going to have him back on. He's got a new book coming out uh, this winter. So we're going to have Chad back on talking about the Wendigo. So looking forward to that. Chad's new book. Always great insight. Great topics today, man. Good stuff. The uh, podcast is Welcome to Cooperville. You are listening on some sort of platform. Where is it? Are you listening on your iPhone, on your Android device? Maybe you got Spotify up, the iHeartRadio app. We are on that as well. Uh, YouTube, we're playing on there. We're all over the place. Everywhere podcasts are heard, you can get the Welcome to Cooperville podcast. What I encourage you to do is hit the subscribe button on whichever platform you are on and listening, and then you get updates every time we drop a new episode. Like Whenever a new one comes up, ting, your phone goes off, and boom, now you can listen at your leisure. And before you subscribe, thank you for doing so. Plus, we are on all the social medias sharing uh, upcoming guests and different things going on in the world of uh, Cooperville and new adventures that we have going on. So make sure you find us on the social medias, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're all over them. Search Welcome to Cooperville. Hit the follow, hit the like, and you'll be riding along on this train. And sometimes we'll, we'll find stuff. We'll pull stuff from a podcast and be like, oh, we were talking about this. And then we'll throw it up on social media and you can kind of tie the thing together in a nice little present. Last but certainly not least, do have to say a huge thank you to uh, Nick and the crew over at Holistic Remedies for your CBD needs. Whether it's full spectrum, doesn't matter. They got you taken care of. Go to holisticremedies.net. Holisticremedies.net is the website. Promo code is Cooper and you get 10% off your order at holisticremedies.com. they got a bunch of cool stuff on there, so go and check it out. That is the podcast. We're going to do it again very soon. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in and being a resident of Cooperville.